And lo, the iPhone that was mistaken for a poopy was deep upon the water for full upon 30 seconds, and upon removal, it was dry as a bone. Well, hello, Merlin Man. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, Dan Benjamin. How are you? Kill, kill switches. Come. <laughs> kill switches in California. Kill switches. Kill switches. I think I know why that happened. Why? Something you uh, did? Not that I'm aware of, but that wouldn't be the first time. Uh, I think it's probably some kind of lobbying effort from whoever ends up having to pay for phones that get stolen. Well, it could be between law enforcement. Law enforcement, obviously, well, I should say what we're talking about. Kill switches. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the technical details of it, but the idea is that, I mean, gosh, in San Francisco, far and away, it's probably true everywhere, but especially with public transit and a lot of people who walk, like far and away, I think the largest class of things that get stolen, like constantly are mobile devices. And, you know, Muni has, you know, <clears throat> made a big effort to say, hey, look, don't play with your device. Like, you know, if you're some dingus sitting near the door playing Minesweeper, don't be surprised if somebody <laughs> grabs it and runs out. Um, th- that's my words, not theirs. Right. It's a, not your paraphrasing. Um, you know, can, I t- can I tell you my favorite sign on Muni? Uh, go ahead, caller. There's a sign. Uh, thank you, uh, first time transitor. Uh, there's a sign uh, that right by the little door, the little cockpit where the driver sits, and there's a sign on the door of every bus, train, trolley, you name it. And it's one of my favorite signs in the world. And it says, in all caps, information gladly given, but safety requires avoiding unnecessary conversation. <laughs> and as you can imagine, a lot of people have made shirts of that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I kind of wish I had that on every, <laughs> on the, next to the little portal of every cube I've ever worked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's safety. <laughs> Say, mm. Keep it safe. I, I remember hearing, I don't know if this is true, I think David Allen said this, uh, this supposedly at one point in Japan, <laughs> if you were really busy around the office, you could wear this red sash, and, if, and nobody was allowed to talk to you while you're wearing the red sash. I like that. It's kind of like headphones, or how, how headphones should be in America. I used to have right? a, little, uh, a little tiki statue that I would put up if I was writing code and didn't want to be disturbed. I would, I would stand the tiki statue up so it was visible on the desk. Res- you want to say respect the tiki. <laughs> That's right. Respect the tiki. It's like that, uh, that famous novel, uh, Thor Heyerdahl, uh, Code Tiki. Yeah, it's the same thing. Con That's, tiki. A, stup- That's Con a really tiki. stupid joke. Anyway, uh, a lot of things get stolen, and, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, oh, you blew me, hello. Um, I think that, uh, I can't do two things at once. Yeah, so, so a lot of phones get stolen, they're very difficult to recover, and obviously, like bikes, I mean, somebody must be buying them. There's got to be some, I'm sure there's a Turns Out article about this. And uh, so the idea is that starting in, I think, July of 2015, every phone has to have a kill switch, which, you know, a la the way Apple lets you, you know, deactivate your phone remotely. And again, I don't know how this works. Does it have to be on Wi-Fi? I assume, like, I don't know how it would work. But the idea is that the kill switch would let you remotely wipe and disable a phone that's been stolen. So the idea being that you're rendering it useless. It's kind of like those red dye packs that they put on clothes. Yeah. You know, so uh, not, pox, not only pox on both your houses. <laughs> right. So if you and here's the thing that I thought was kind of interesting and they're very specific about this, and I put this into, into show notes. It says that um, it, it, so if it gets misplaced or stolen, it has to be able to withstand a hard reset or operating system downgrade. It must prevent reactivation of the smartphone on a wireless network except by the authorized user, and they must be installed during the phone's initial setup, and it must be reversible so an authorized user can unlock the device if it's returned to their possession. 
California. Yeah, California. Um, earthquake. You, know. you had an earthquake too. We did. We did. A lot of people, I guess, uh, injured without power. Did it affect you guys where you are in uh, in San Francisco or no. was it Napa? Mm, not really. Hey, I, let's just finish that one thread. I, yeah. I don't know that much about it. I mean, it's something that people, like I think a lot of the manufacturers didn't want to do it, partly because it's stuff they have to do. But, um, you know, again, depending on how secure the OS on your phone is, that seems like something that would be pretty easy to abuse. You know what I mean? Very. Doesn't it? Be an awful prank to play on somebody. Yeah, I mean, I, anyway, I don't know. Oh, I have some N- fake follow-up, too. Speaking uh, of phones. 3.30 uh, in the morning, two nights ago. Everything's rattling. We're in an old house, so everything rattles. It's like an old man's bones. And... Well, you know, the cartilage goes away. It becomes very painful to move. Laugh now. Enjoy it, Johnny. Enjoy it. Laugh. Laugh. Pretty soon when you laugh, it'll sound like this. It's going to sound like a Napa earthquake. Uh, yeah, big one. Now, here's the thing about earthquakes. It, let's just make this a whole show about things I don't actually know okay. for once. For once. Uh, you know, the, uh, they call it the, the Richter scale, you know? I think it's logarithmic. So, you know, a six, you know, if that was somebody you were trying to pick up at, uh, senior, at the Senior Frogs, you might go, hey, a six, that's not so great. But a six is pretty logarithmic. That's 10 times more, I believe. I think it's like volume. That's 10 times more than a five. Exponential exponential see i don't i don't um it rattled my daughter oh by the way my daughter after five days in school has a cold oh man mm-hmm. so she was uh she was sleeping with us because she was really not feeling good and she I, she claims to have been there she claims everything she claims to have heard and seen everything that's ever happened i don't know if your kids do this <laughs> but there's nothing my daughter ever hasn't seen why do you keep telling me that you you keep telling me that thing and it's so boring <laughs> Well, honey, this is how things like arithmetic work. Uh, if we don't keep talking about how two times four equals eight, you won't remember it. It's too boring. And uh, it rattled, and it was scary. And then, uh, and then, uh, then, like an hour later, our bed made a thumping noise, and I don't know why. I think our bed's falling apart. Oh, if something jarred loose, maybe. A maybe jarred loose or... from 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 my my stillness. <laughs> my stillness upset it. Right. And the other thing you were talking about was what? Fake follow up. Fake follow-up. Remember how I told you that um, my my beautiful three-year-old girl threw my wife's phone into the, <gasps> into the toilet? I so want to talk about this. Okay. Well, let's do it. The conventional wisdom via Lifehacker and at all of many years ago is that if you ever drop a device, if you drop your iPhone into water, mm-hmm. there's some kind of dingus inside the iPhone that, like, I guess changes color or something. Right? So if you take yeah. it to a store, this has happened to John Roderick. You, you take in your phone, they go, eh, you got a blue disc here. You've been taking too many baths with right. your phone. And, uh, and the, so the, people had always said that if, I think this, is, this was probably truer of poorly engineered feature f- or uh, smart feature phones. I'm going to guess. But they used to say that if you grabbed your feature phone, didn't touch any buttons, if it was obviously, you know, if it had like water swishing around in it, you could drop it into a bag of rice. And if you left it there for a couple of days, it would sometimes heal itself. I've tried that three or four times and it's never worked. Mm. Your beautiful, beautiful three-year-old <laughs> daughter, MJ, mm-hmm. threw a perfectly good iPhone into, I believe it was your toilet? Yes. Okay, I want to get back to whether you're going to use a phone that's been in a toilet. But So what did you do? Because well, this intrigues me. Well, it was not, it, fortunately, it was not my phone. It was my wife's phone. 
And she's not as worried about the toilet thing. Yeah, she's okay with that. I'm I'm going to. You, okay. got, you still have to touch her occasionally, right? Uh, yeah, I have to touch. I have to eventually wind up touching everybody. Does she look clean to you? Mm, nothing's clean, but we do the best we can. Yeah. So she got into this thing where, of course, the first thing that she would do is she would take toilet paper and, you know, unroll most of a roll of toilet paper and put that into the toilet. And, <laughs> and she would then come after doing that. She'd come and say, Daddy, I did a big poo-poo all by myself. Come see. And I would see the entire roll of toilet paper. That was her air quotes, poo-poo, mm. was the toilet paper, not the actual poop. The poop was, there was no real poop. It was the, just toilet paper. And that was funny. Then we explained, you can't do that with toilet paper, whatever. So then she would take a hand towel and roll that up and throw that into the toilet and go through that. So there was this, a thing for a while where the toilet was, she was just enjoyed throwing things in there. You'd she say, knew well, it would make you happy that you wanted to see a nice big poop in there. <laughs> yeah. Why not, Dan, why not put a toilet lock on there? Well, because she's not the only person or child in the house that needs to use that toilet. So putting a toilet lock would then mean that we would have to unlock it for our six-year-old and we just didn't want to do it. So we... Dan, I don't want to live in a world with toilet locks. Thank you. Jesus. So apparently what happened was my wife had set her phone down momentarily on the counter and she saw the opportunity, grabbed it, threw it in there and immediately told her and said, I threw the your phone in the toilet. And so according to my wife, it was in there for about 30 seconds. So she went in there, fished it out and I guess set it down to try and, you know, dry it off or whatever. Now, geeks like us would know after something like that happens, you should not try to turn it on. Even though that is absolutely your first impulse. Yeah. Is it working? Is it going to work? Because, you know, at that point, you're praying to whatever dollar sign deity is out there that somehow it will have escaped. <laughs> it will have been some kind of, you know, <laughs> book of Matthew style miracle. <laughs> right. Well. And lo. And lo. <laughs> the iPhone that was mistaken for a poopy was deep upon the water for full upon 30 seconds. And upon removal, it was dry as a bone. <laughs> so. She, I guess, said it, let it drive for a little while and then tried to turn it on. Apparently, if you don't try to turn it on, the chances of it working again are much, much higher, logarithmically higher, you might say. Exponential. And she did try to turn it on and she, and and, and uh, I found out later she tried to turn it on. And when she tried to turn it on, she said, oh, it was doing weird things with Siri and the screen kept flashing on and off. And anyway, that turned, it, it did turn off and it stopped working. And so... She was pretty much at that point said, well, it, it's gone. It's toast. And I said, well, let's see what we can do. And I talked about it on a couple shows. And a lot of people wrote in to say, put it in rice. And mm -hmm. I, I told her right away, I said, well, put it in some rice. So she put it in the rice and I still didn't, wasn't ready to turn it on. So we left it, uh, took it out of the rice and let it sit there for a, a couple days, day or two, which other people said was also wrong. And then uh, a lot of people said to, to go to a um, like a Michaels or a Hobby Lobby and buy silica gel, which I had no idea that that could be purchased in anything but like a little consumer electronics packs or beef jerky. I, I didn't know yes, you could just go buy consumer gel. You can. And this is a huge thing. It's f like six dollars for a, a relatively large bag of it or f like 15 bucks for a huge bag. But it's not like gelatin. They're like in little pearls. They're or little something. pearls. Hmm. And uh, and they are just loose pearls in the bag instead of being <laughs> these ridiculous little packs. And it's very, very, very cheap. Apparently, this is used for 
like drying flowers or something. Like it's it has a legit purpose in the flower world that I don't I'm not really in that space. And in the in the crafts community. They as a whole embrace it. <clears throat> and you can go and buy this stuff. So I put it into a, a, a big, uh, not that big, a Ziploc bag and put the phone in there. So the phone was completely submerged in all sides, all angles with a ton of half a bag, half a $6 or so, $3 worth of silica pearls. A lot of pearls. Closed it up the bag and set it there two days, wrote the time and date on it, wouldn't touch it. That was one of the toughest things in my life because I kept wanting to open it up and turn it on. Of course you did. At the end of this, I take it out and... I, uh, I I plug it in, and when it plugs in, the little battery symbol of I'm being charged shows up. It's the same battery symbol that you would see if you had let your phone completely discharge and then plugged it in, and it's like, you can't use me, but I am getting power right now. That battery with the little red line flashing on it, right? it did that for about 10 seconds, and then the Apple logo came up, and it booted up, and it worked the screen was fine everything was fine and it had a 60 percent battery charge and i said well i don't think this is going to work for very long so i'm the one thing i want to make happen is i want to just make sure we have a full local backup we were using icloud backup i want to make sure i have a full local backup ran over to the computer plugged it in uh and charged it uh while, you know let it charge while it was backing up it did a complete backup Okay, I did a second backup. Second backup worked, let it charge to 100%, and she's been using it now for like the last three or four days, and it works fine. That's miraculous. Uh, a lot of people, all after I tweeted about that, said, well, it's not going to keep working. It's going to have flaky performance because the internals are corroding. And I said, that's fine. It just has to make it until this six comes out. But that's the story. So my advice to people is... Don't mess with rice because apparently rice only absorbs water that it comes in direct contact with, whereas the silica gel draws moisture out of the air and absorbs it. So that's the key to using that. That's unbelievable. I'm sure people sent you this. Did you see Rob Griffith's article on Macworld? Yeah, and it was very fortuitous because his went into a pond or something. Rob, this is in show notes. Rob, Rob Griffiths um, <laughs> was taking a photo on a boat and his... <laughs> His phone fell out of his boating hand into the water. Bloop. Oh, my gosh. Lands on the bottom. He can see it through the beautiful, clear waters of his vacation. And it was down there for like a few minutes before he could get it. Anyway, yeah. go read that article because it's when I read this, it was like, this is, this is one of those things like finding Jesus in a tortilla. Like, I just didn't know this kind of thing happened. He got it out. He tried the rice. It didn't work. What he ended up doing, um, I haven't read the whole article today, but what I remember him saying is, I guess he got like an iFixit type set up and like opened it up mm -hmm. and blew the entire thing out with compressed air and dry, 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 dry. Long story short, eventually, yeah, it, it was, it worked. I have no idea. I didn't even know you could take a phone apart like that. Yeah. I guess there's like battery replacement mm -hmm. kits that you can get, but, uh, that, and what you're saying is pretty, it's pretty incredible. I mean, to me, like once that one flips to a zero, it's, it's over. Mm -hmm. Once it's gotten wet and gone down once, I can't, kind of can't imagine it coming back. But in, in Rob's case, I mean, it was underwater. It was in like wild water for yeah. several minutes. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It really is. And it's, you know, like, uh, this is a different topic, but I'm finally, my kid is watching Star Wars. I'll tell you how that happened. And, you know, you remember, spoiler alert, when the X-Wing winds up in the swamp 
and it comes, they, Yoda brings it out of the swamp. Mm. <laughs> he was very, he's very curious. He's like, well, how, how could it still work if it was like submerged in the swamp? And I said, well, I think it's, I think it can still work because, you know, it's designed to be able to go through things like that, I guess. And, and he's space, like, well, it's got aerospace tolerances. Well, I, but there's a difference between like liquid and space. But then if you think back to like when we were kids, almost every flying vehicle in, in the cartoons that we watched, they can take off from underwater too. You know, the Transformers had an underwater base, the Decepticons, they flew through the water. A lot of stuff like that seems to happen. So I just think it's sort of, it just, it's okay. It's waterproof automatically. I guess iPhones are the same. Yeah. No moving parts really. Well, no. I mean the buzzer, I wonder if the vibrate uh, still works on it, but I don't know. It's really encouraging. Well, you know, my, one of the greatest like minor things to enter my life in the last five years is the culprit behind my extreme fear of dropping my devices into water, yeah. which is the um, Jambox um, by Jawbone. And we have at one time or another had three of those. Um, Lonely Sandwich did a, did a video. Uh, one of his early sandwich videos was for the jam box. And he was like, hey, you know, well, let me send you one. I was like, oh, cool, whatever. And thank you. And uh, it, but it was immediately transformative to have this Bluetooth um, speaker that you could take into the shower, well, you know, the bathroom. You could take anywhere. And so, you know, I got one as a gift. We bought a couple over time. We gave one of them away as a gift because somebody's kid really liked it. But all three that I have, like, still work. Um, but what that means is, you know, I shower once or twice a day. I, uh, I listen to, uh, listen to the flop house in the shower and, uh, as you do. So that means that like near mini receptacles of water and hard tile, I have iOS devices and I've started to get really anal about it. Like I, you know, now finally I have reason to be a gentleman and close the lid because yeah. I don't even want that. I don't, I don't even want to think about that, you know, cause if it's yellow, let it mellow, right? Just it's environmental. Uh, if it's black, bring it back. Oh, hmm. so uh, I worry about that a lot. I worry about that because I, I take a hot steamy shower. I run that hot water out. Oh yeah, you want to empty really, the whole vessel. I want I want a full body shower experience, and that's going to be a lot of humidity. <laughs> I like the humidity. You ever tried using your uh, your Touch ID after you take a shower? Oh yeah, I can't. 50, I can't do 50. it. I, no, no, I can't, I can't do it after cooking. I can't do it after KFC. Uh, oh, there's so God. many. <laughs> So many circumstances under which Touch ID fails. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, it's gotten better. I'm so happy for you, Dan. It's just, you know, we know what it is. Like, it's not the end of the world. You could get another iPhone. But it is really life-affirming to know that something like that can happen in a really sad way. But I would be so happy if that worked. I live in fear of the crack screen. I have one... Like, if you imagine taking your thumbnail and, mm -hmm. like, lightly tapping the screen... Like if you had a super nail, yeah. like what would be left behind? Like almost completely imperceptible scratch. Yeah. Like seriously, like you you don't notice it unless you, like me, start compulsively running your thumb over it and feeling it over <laughs> and over. That's the extent of damage that I have on yeah. my iPhone 5S. And I, I just live in mortal fear. Every time I'm on Muni and I see somebody, like my friend Mina one time, her iPhone broke and she had a giant piece of plastic tape over the top of it, like holding the glass together. Mm. And it made me incredibly uncomfortable to watch her use it. Watching people use a broken iPhone is a very sad thing. People, what, yeah, it always strikes me as odd when Any device, any, not just iPhones, but any, any smartphone that is obviously shattered is very troubling to me. 
Well, I guess there's some kind of coating in f- or film or whatever that keeps it together, but it seems like it it would be dangerous. Like it, you could injure your your fingers. That's all I'd be thinking about. I'd just be googling for finger injuries. Yeah. Did you want to tell me about something you like? I can tell you about a company uh, called Veronis. They make this. I would love to hear about. Would Veronis. you like to hear about Veronis? I think Veronis sounds like a godsend. Well, they make this thing called... Well, you said we got a sponsor, and I went and I looked at it, and I was like, this sounds like a turnkey it, operation. I'm not a technologist, Dan. I'm not a technologist. Thought leader. God damn it. Tell me about, tell me about them. And their dad program. Anywhere. I, and I'm not sure if you're supposed to say Dad Anywhere or Dad Anywhere or Did Anywhere. But basically what this... <laughs> well, how would you say that? Dad that's Anywhere. An, that's Anywhere. <laughs> they can, uh, I don't this, know if that's from the Pali or the Sanskrit, but I think it's... It's Pali. The poly cannon. Poly, poly cannon. Remember who has the poly cannon. You, this lets you turn your own network shares. The, the, so you're an IT person. Yes. And you have a network and you already have these, these data stores, these shares, these things on your NAS, these things that exist that you want. You don't want to go and start copying files up to something like a Dropbox or whatever so that your remote users, your work-at-home people, your traveling sales folks, you don't want these people to have to go through using these external services, which maybe you can and can't trust. No. You want to take your own network shares and you want to make them into a Dropbox like secure enterprise class private cloud and that's what veronis is letting you do here you get mobile access you get synchronization you get third-party sharing you can give your users file sync and mobile access without changing your it infrastructure without moving data around without reconfiguring permissions and all of this nonsense see the thing is you know that your files are secured and backed up and reliable why change merlin why change everything why As move? I sit here today, I, I can't think of a reason to change. There's no reason to change. There's no reason. You can sync with Windows, Mac, iOS, Android. You can safely share this stuff with third parties without having to add them to the mysterious active directory. All of this stuff installs in like 30 minutes. Check out Data Anywhere for free for 30 days. Unlimited number of users. And as a special bonus for back to work listeners, you go to the special URL, Veronis, V-A-R-O-N-I-S, veronis.com slash back to work, and you will get five users free forever, which is a pretty good deal. So just think about this. Take your infrastructure with you. They're going to have to run with that. I'm just an idea guy. So go check it out. Veronis.com slash back to work. Support the show by going there. Make these folks happy they sponsored. And uh, thank you very much to Veronis for supporting 5x5 and back to work with Merlin Mann. Dan Benjamin, avoiding unnecessary conversation. Red sash. Red Sash just sent you a link to what that image looks like. Oh, I was listening to Joe McConnell on the local traffic this morning, uh, and I can't tell if it was uh, if it was the KQED people or the traffic people, but I heard the unmistakable bloop of an iMessage coming in, and and no matter where I am, I immediately start hustling because that, that's my signal to find out who I'm disappointing today, and right. I didn't know it. And how so much? I, I have I, exactly <laughs> that might take a couple days. But uh, I do that. I hustle. Yeah. Did you see the image? I did. It's uh, it, it, for some reason I imagine it being a square sign, and this is sort of a long. Mm-hmm. Did you Three get? Lines. Did you see the image of the sign that I sent you that was posted in the bathroom and directed toward me? It was directed toward. Oh, that was directed toward you. Well, it, I'm not the only one, but I am guilty. It looks very homemade. Yes, it's. I don't think this was purchased. Wait. So. I don't understand. Is this at your office? We we do not have our own private bathroom in our office. We're on a Ugh. floor where we yeah I know where we share a bathroom with the other people on the floor. 
So we're in an office among many offices on a floor of offices in an office building. This is um, this is written by somebody who did not go to RISD, uh, <laughs> never worked for Raygun. No. Actually, it looks a little bit like a Raygun cover from about <laughs> 1995. Yeah. Uh, in, in, uh, in a completely maniacal John Wayne Gacy style <laughs> uh, hand <laughs> with what looks like some kind of, uh, I don't know, like some kind of... Uh, calligraphy marker in red it says to guy dropping the paper towel to open door next line all in blue get some anti-back and it runs off the page because they ran out of line they hadn't accounted for how long get some anti-back below that all in black your potty privileges are suspended yes so you think they were maybe they were writing crazy because they didn't want to be this might be hattie oh yeah in the well in the men's bathroom it could have been don't be normative here's the thing um so the way that the the other bathrooms, uh, like the the ladies' room, and I think the downstairs uh, men's rooms, all have a trash can, a small trash can, right outside the bathroom because they know that most men don't wash their hands after they've used the facilities, and the ones that do don't want to touch the handles uh, that have been contaminated by. Uh, the men who who don't. So we have to have our paddles. And so what I always do is I get a, I get a paddle and I'll use that to open the door. And there's, there's two doors, one that leads from the bathroom into the small, um, the small airlock chamber. And then another door that you open that lets you out back into the hallway. Oh, it's got that extra bonus safety zone. Yeah. It's a, it's a fire uh, door. They call it or something. I don't know. Right. It's a DMZ. So you can't see guys urinating staging area. Yes. So I move out out into production. Right. And in production, in most of the hallways, except this one on this floor, there's a little wastebasket down there that you can chuck the paddle into. Um, So sometimes uh, when I'm be leaving, I would, it depends if I'm, if I'm going back to the office, I try to do the courteous thing and I try to, I'll hold the paddle uh, and when I get back to my office, I'll throw it away in, in my office. But sometimes if I'm like on the way out, like, a, you know, heading to the elevator or something, listen, I'm not perfect. I'll drop it. I'll swing the door open and I will let go of, of the ta- of the paddle while I'm swinging the door open. I don't do this a lot, but I have done it. That's really weird, Dan. And, uh, and then the, so the paddle goes. And in my opinion, this is punishment for them not having a, the wastebasket out there. It serves them right, oh, but then, God, what, a, what a troubled soul you are! I know, but then, like, like they're going to somehow somebody's going to like be quantifying that in some kind of Excel yes. thing. Yes, but it appears that we need to put more of a garbage for receptacle facility for paddle usage, Laven. <laughs> I don't do that a lot, and, and mm. what I, I eventually felt guilty about it, and so I stopped doing it completely. And I was a good citizen for a while, and then I noticed that other people. Because I would, on my way out, I would notice someone, other people had been doing the same thing. Little paper towels discarded in the same exact way that I was doing it. And then I thought. Broken windows, broken windows. Then I thought, oh man, maybe I've enabled this behavior in others by setting an example. Or maybe they were doing it all along because we're still kind of new in this building. But I didn't know. But anyway, after I saw that, then I had another dilemma of like, well, do I. Now, does this justify me doing it? Other people are doing it. Now it's okay for me to do it. But I still, I stopped doing it. I would hold, I would hold the paddle until I got back to my office and I would throw it away. So I was good about it. And then this sign shows up. And so now I'm convinced that because I had done this 
a few times. Other people saw it and then felt validated in doing it themselves. So I like kicked off a trend of doing this to the point where now it became a problem. And then that's when the sign went up. So I feel like the sign was meant for me. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. I mean, you're but the But people mover. could have done this before me. I don't know. You don't know that. Other people were doing sure this. Sure, I do. No, Other that's people were doing this. There's a lot of guys up here. Yeah, it's extremely unusual behavior, Dan. You, you, there's, there's several uh, routes that you can take here. <clears throat> the one I'd like to address second is vengeance. The first one is, why don't you go to your office despot, go pick up a, uh, a waste paper basket, and why don't you install that yourself? And then maybe they'll empty that. Uh, there, there's no space for it is the main problem. You couldn't mount it on a wall? Out in the main... Well, in the, in the staging area? I could do that. I don't know. If I put it, it would obstruct, you know, fire laws and what have you. Oh, uh, you be... should talk to... You got to talk to building management about it. Yeah. The other thing that's very interesting would be to figure out who left the sign, which I think will not be super hard. As you know, I'm not Sherlock Holmes, but I think there's a number of things that you can figure out pretty easily. First of all, how many people are on the floor where that bathroom is used? Hmm. between 20 and 50. This is going to be a breeze. Um, <laughs> of the 20 to 50 people, are they mostly men? Uh, I would say half. Okay, that makes it even easier. So of the 10 to 25 people who use that bathroom, it's going to be somebody who uses it a lot because they've noticed it more than once. Nobody leaves a sign like that if they're a visitor. They leave that sign if they're there a lot. Correct. So it's going to be a it's going to be a a, a, a self identifying uh, male. I, I don't know if I'm using the right term for for that, but it's somebody who uses the men's room, probably a dude, mm-hmm. and it's going to be somebody who has three different colors of marker on their desk. Oh right, gosh, you should be like a detective or something. Thank you. Uh, I think it would not be that hard to figure out. Um, but also, see, do you think that, that these are like whiteboard markers? Oh, they could be whiteboard. That's because true. Then it's is not. That, that's not eight and a half by eleven paper, is it? Are you thinking it's like a four or something? I'm, I'm putting it into eight, the eight, show notes. Two, sure you are. Uh, what I'm saying is that does not that that uh, aspect ratio does not look like standard paper. I don't think somebody grabbed that off the printer. Hold on, let me see that. Also, no, you're look, right. It does look a little a little less. It, rig- huh. It's hastily taped on with scotch tape. Do you think they cut? They, it, like they cut it like it did say bacterial. And the reason it only says back is because they cut it off? Oh, to throw you off the scent? Yeah. It's entirely possible, but I think this is probably somebody who's not in design. Uh, I think it is probably a dude who uses this bathroom a lot. So maybe one thing you could do is start spending more time in the bathroom and looking for people who look annoyed. Just for like a week. Do you think think it's... um... Well, anyway, after I did that, I noticed that... After they did that, I noticed that it stopped pretty much completely. Yeah. But then what I would say is, um, and I probably shouldn't say this publicly, what I would do, I think you should get a stool and I think you should get a tray with some, some Old Spice and some Starlight Mints and I think you should get a fake mustache, like a really unbelievably weird fake mustache and you should sit in the bathroom and act like you're the new attendant. Oh, why you could you spend a lot of time in there? Yeah, but you, you'd figure out who the culprit is and then you could go do things to their desk. Do you, you, are you saying you've never once used a paddle and discarded it on the ground? I don't like to break the, um, I don't like to break the artifice or illusion of our program. Oh. But, you know, I, I, I'd poop on the side of the road and wouldn't think twice. <laughs> oh, God. I touch all kinds of stuff all the time. I, uh, 
I'll just take off my clothes and roll around in hotel sheets, oh, you know, yeah. just till the, till the, till the in-room dining arrives. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll really, I, I will, I'll rub myself on everything in the room. I don't care. It's not something I actually sweat that much. I, I am, I do try to be good about hand washing because see also my daughter's sick after five days of school. I cannot get her to understand that there's more to washing hands than going in and turning on the water a little bit and making a noise and then putting on enough soap that if I smell her hands, I can tell if she did it or not. Mm. Do you do that? Yeah, you want you want there to be uh, proof of life. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's a value I would like her to have, which is, and I've said this before, but one of the things, one of the many myriad things I loved about her preschool was that they were very because they were little kids, right? These are like three year old kids going mm-hmm. to the school. How important it is, you know, primarily there's all the kind of social stuff and learning to deal with people, but there's also just this whole idea of like dealing with transitions because with little kids, transitions are difficult, and transitions with little kids and grown-ups are made so much easier if there's something almost ritualistic about that transition. And I, I've, I've finally understood that. I mean, ritualistic not in the sense of peeing in a bottle in your home movie theater, but ritualistic in the sense of like, as soon as we walk up the steps, you take off your jacket, hang it up, you walk into the, I mean, this is TMI, but like, I really think if you get people in the habit of understanding like, you know, if your dog eventually learns that we only poop outside, you're going to be way better off. If your kid understands, the first thing you do when you walk in the door is wash your hands. Mm-hmm. You know, wash your hands and, you know, and brush your teeth. Like when there's a transition coming, like if you're leaving the house, brush your teeth. This is a pattern. So anyway, there's a lot of places you can get fake mustaches. You could get a comfortable stool. You could, you know, you could, maybe you could, this could be a task rabbit thing. Maybe you could hire a local Austinite to sit in the bathroom for you. Hello, I am definitely the men's room attendant. Nah, but you know, you're not a vengeful guy. (laughs) No. As far as anyone knows. No, I, I, I don't, that's not uh, an, um, a tough emotion for me. I don't really, yeah. I don't want to get back at, uh, at, sure at them. Do. No, sure no I do. really don't. I really want, I mean, I, I felt like I felt like it was directed toward me. Uh, but I, after I noticed that other people were doing it and, and I noticed other people were doing it on different floors too, because I, I'm, I'm on, up way up here on the third floor. And I've noticed this on the other two floors on the rare occasions I would uh, have to go to see. I don't like the first. Yeah, you like to go to a different floor for number two. No, I, don't, I won't do a number two here. You like to go to a different uh, uh, second location. I'll do that. I do that at home. Safe place. Really? Yeah. That seems extremely limiting to me. No, I, I have it on a schedule. Is that something you have, feel like you have control over? You block it out? I, I, yeah, I have control over that, sure. Mm-hmm. You control the rhythms. Digestive rhythms, yeah. Yeah, That's but easy you, to do. I mastered that. Did you tell me Macworld one grade. time with Macworld, right? Didn't you say you had to go to a different floor to, to blast the dookie? No, it wasn't me. This is probably too much. Um, you know, I, I want to give you a scenario that I think you need to think about, and then I think we probably should talk about something besides bathrooms. But <laughs> we always wind up back on that. I'm sorry. We? Um, <laughs> what I want to put in front of you is here's a future you're facing. Let me give you your days of bathrooms past okay. title, which is that what, one day you go in there and guess what's going to be in there? because they're going to say you know what these guys can't handle they can't handle having paper towels which everybody loves more let's give them a dyson Mm. and now you're going to be putting your hands in the blade and you're going to accidentally touch the edge you know okay but i have a question about that. you know what i read i read i read some people think i saw this is on twitter somebody said that they there are people who believe that dyson blade is that what it's called yeah they, they think that those little the apertures you put your hands in see for me that's a game of operation 
and I got to take out the funny bone, right? Without making the guy buzz. Oh. I feel like I want to not touch any part of the Dyson so that that filthy air can just envelop my hands. Some people think you're supposed to squeegee off the palms of your no, hands. No, no, no. <laughs> and that, really? that is why you got to respect the Tiki. You've got to show some respect toward that bathroom or they are going to saddle you with a Dyson. This is my prediction. I, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't like scare tactics, Dan. But I just would like you to have a nice bathroom. Yeah. No, me too. I, the, that's squeegee. I never would have considered that. But I'll tell that's you. That's not what. how your mind works. No, but I'll tell you the the question I have about that is the people that I'm the most worried about aren't the people who are maybe not washing their hands thoroughly enough with their own little tin of soap that they bring with them, uh, as much as the people who don't wash at all. I feel like if they wash their hands and then they use the Dyson, that the chance of uh, contamination from the Dyson is something I can mitigate, even though I don't like using those and won't use them. Uh, that would still be better, whatever you might come in contact with from the Dyson, getting in contact with that than just flat out touching the handle. But mm. in this case, you've got to do you've got to do both unless they install one of those little footsie things. The foot ones are great. There's two kinds, though. There's mm. the kind that you step on and pull toward you, and there's a the kind you've got to put your foot up into and pull forward. And, of course, the ones you step on are better. I can't imagine how complex your days must be. Um, a lot those of details. sound innovative. You could have that mounted. Again, you probably got to call business or uh, building management. You couldn't get your on the air sign up without talking to business. Oh my gosh. This tiny people, little right? three inch. Have I, have I taken a picture of this sign? For, it's tiny. Yeah. I'll put a quarter next to it for reference. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. You know, it's the devil you know is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to talk about bathrooms, but, but the thing is, if you go to a bathroom, here's the problem. This is science, Dan. Most guys, no matter what they do in a bathroom, don't wash their hands. I think for some people, it's a point of pride. If there are people around, they want to impress a girl or their boss, they'll wash their hands. They'll kind of like swish it around under the water. But I think most people don't wash their hands. I think what a lot of people do, if they do anything, is they walk up. Like Think about like the movie theater. I think what most people do, think about the movie theater, right? You want to get back to Guardians of the Galaxy and not miss anything, right? Mm -hmm. So you run to the bathroom, you go in really quick, you do your business. I think most people in a movie theater are not going to wash their hands at all, dudes. And if they do, they're going to swish them around under the water. Well, think about that. Now you're making this, uh, this kind of this uh, uh, primordial paste out of whatever's on your hands with the catalyst of the water. And then you touch stuff on your way out. So the thing is, it, we're even more, turns out, we're even more endangered by the people who are half-assing it. If people went in there and didn't touch anything, it wouldn't be a problem. If they only touched their dingus and then got out of there like a gentleman, that would be fine. I think the problem is these people who are not doing a good job. That's why you know that, think about the, the, having to hit the thing to make the water come out. What, what has touched that thing? People's dirty hands mm -hmm. all day long. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you've thought of this. A little. And the handle. Now you got the handle to get out. I'm sympathetic, but you know, I want the rising tide to raise all boats. I think there should be some way to have a receptacle, or maybe you could get a private restroom that just you, you only you had access to with a, a keyed lock. I'd use the heck out of that. Mm -hmm. <sighs> oh, and then somebody has just sent me a, uh, a link to a tweet from uh, Paul Emerson who said, who's talking to Jason Sweeney. Oh, who, yeah, that was Emerson. Is that where they're talking about the blade? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Hi, hi, Paul. I'll put this in the show. Hi, Jason. I don't think Jason's a listener. Yeah. 
I could see Emerson putting in titles. Someone say, hey, hey, Emerson. I'll just say hi to everybody in the chat room. Hey, hey guys. <laughs> we? Looking at titles. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> boy, that's a poser. I don't know. A lot of people wrote in about the bike thing. Oh! Dan, it is so difficult to know <laughs> what people are going to be interested in. It's very difficult to know what is going to move people to contact us. Yes. 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 I'm like, hold on. I'm going to load it up. Come, comes in here and changes everything. Yes. I'll get it. Do you clean your keyboard a lot? Uh, do I? N- no. Yes. 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 Um, yes. We talked last week. Yes. Dan, Dan, Dan presented a, a, it was a monograph or a poster, some kind of an academic uh, uh, scenario about a problem that he encountered uh, with uh, crossing or you, you passed a bicyclist and the bicyclist banged on your window. Mm-hmm. And you told us a story, but I won't go into it because it was about it was about two and a half hours long. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no. It was it was it was it was very useful. I thought about it a lot afterward. But then, so that a lot of folks wrote in. Um, we heard from a lot of people who ride bicycles. A lot of people who, who uh, what we would call them cyclists, mm. uh, different from bikers. Interesting. Hmm. And they offered uh, input. I read. I think I read all of them. But one, 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 boy, I wish you could credit this person. One person made a diagram. <laughs> yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. It said a diagram explaining a possible scenario. It was a real, like, Kevin Costner back into the left type situation. Yes. Showing, like, what might have gone down with the green and the red light. What was your, uh, so if, if you like, uh, tell us, tell us what, uh, what you gleaned from people. Well, the consensus, the consensus, and of course, a lot of the cyclists who wrote in, uh, I was expecting them to say, Listen, we get treated with, you know, we get treated like crap. You, you know, he was right. Most, if not really, I can't think of a single person who, who wrote me to say that what I, that, that, that I did something wrong. Most of them, especially the cyclists said, it sounds like you didn't do anything wrong. You know, if, if everything you say is what happened, which it is, then uh, it sounds like you didn't do anything wrong. And maybe that, you know, then there was a lot of people who wrote in speculating as to why, he had that reaction, uh, which was even more interesting than the cyclist saying, no, you, you did all right. Or, you know, there was even people who said, well, in, you know, in Texas, according to the, you know, Travis County laws, as long as you give them a three foot clearance, a lot of stuff like that. But there were a lot of people who were just speculating on like, what was his major malfunction? Uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, I love the way, I love the way you frame this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's mostly what people said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did anyone come in and say that I was, I was, you know, I did the wrong thing. Maybe I blocked that out. Um, uh, no, no, no. They were, they were very supportive. Mm-hmm. They were very supportive, but you know, uh, it sounds like it could have been a lot of different things. I posted something to show notes. Dan, could you uh, please tell people uh, in as much as you can where folks could find uh, show notes for episode 184 of your Back to Work program? Yes, you can go to 5by5.tv slash B as in bikers, 2 as in the number, W, w as in windows, as in windows uh, slash 184. 184. And that will have, uh, will have pictures and everything up in there. 
I was kind of hastily looking for this. I, there's probably more resources for this that would be useful, but maybe a positive way to look at it. I found something called, uh, there's a local group here called the San Francisco Bike Coalition who, that advocates for people who ride bikes. Um, you know, and really adv- advocates, I, I would say, for making bikes part of the, the system, you know, not, yeah. you know, part of, part of like getting used to the idea that bikes are a thing. Stop thinking it's some weird thing where people are taking the road from you. Um, and they had a cool uh, little thing here, a nice little graphical page on the rules of the road. But one thing that might be handy if somebody could find it for us, like tell us, like if you're, if, is there a good looking page? that we could look at that would say like, here's like five, regardless of the laws where you live, like here's five things that help explain what it's like to be a sensible bike person. Mm-hmm. Not one of those bananas people who hits you with their bike lock, but like, like if you're like a bike person, like what do you wish that, that maybe especially if you're a bike person who also drives a car, like what, what would be good things for people who primarily aren't riding a bike? Yeah, to what, know? Can, what can we do to be, make sure that we're doing the thing that shows you that we care that or, you're all right? Yes, I would. I, yes, I would say though. Also, like, what should we know? Um, there was a um, where was I reading? Oh, I was reading that uh, pretty good John Cabot Zinn book with the terrible title "Wherever You Go, There You Are," and uh, he has an interesting about mindfulness. And uh, there was a good chapter in there called "Is There Anything Else? Is There Anything Else You Want to Tell Me?" And uh, this is this is tangential, but uh, I thought it was really interesting. It's uh, you know it's something. Uh, so basically, he talks about how you know if you really want to you know understand what's going on in the world and understand other people, think about that phrase. Is there anything else you want to tell me? Or if you like, is there anything else I should know? Mm-hmm. You, you, I think there's a phrase in um, maybe this is pop pop medicine, but this idea of like the doorknob phenomenon, which has nothing to do with implants, but the idea that sometimes uh, physicians who are visiting with this with somebody who's in for a complaint learn the most important thing when their hand's already on the doorknob and they're about to walk out the door because mm. it's kind of like a Columbo type situation where now that you've gotten through all that, the person's sort of defenses or filtering are down and they might say, oh, and by the way, I've got this lump under my arm. Mm. Like, whoa, okay, I guess that's, you know. So one thing Kabat-Zinn mentions is they did this thing where they basically videotaped uh, a bunch of young doctors, maybe residents, I'm not sure, but a bunch of young doctors talking to their patients and saying to them, here's the exercise, you know, and then when you think you're done with everything, say, is there anything else you want to tell me? And they said it was almost farcical how funny it was to play the videos back end to end in front of all the doctors and almost to a person, <laughs> every doctor in the room, as they were saying, is there anything else you want to tell me? Were unconsciously shaking their head side to side as if to say no. Really? Yeah. The same way that a good waiter, or it's similar to the way a good waiter will walk up and go, can I bring you some delicious desserts? And they start nodding. Mm -hmm. But like how doctors kind of accidentally telegraph this thing of like, we're done here, right at the point when they're trying to say like, yeah, you know, is there anything crazy that I should know about? I think so. That's an interesting way to think about life. And that's why I'm having read that is what makes me think about it this way. It's like, you know, don't just send me like this, this giant federal law or state law thing, but like more like, what does it feel like to be you mm-hmm. that I don't understand? I, I have to say that in, in an age where <sighs> things are starting to feel more and more, perhaps understandably, politically divided, where it feels like more and more we're separated from each other with, and we have our reasons. I'm mo- I always find it most compelling when somebody helps me understand what life is actually like for them that I'm not aware of, rather than what I should do differently. Mm. So I think it'd be interesting to say, you know, like an example, something I read a long time ago, maybe this is like a rule of thumb kind of thing, but I remember hearing that 
somebody who's a, a good motorcycle rider, like from the beginning, has to acknowledge, to be a safe and sensible motorcycle rider, you have to always remember that nobody can see you. Mm. That, that in the algorithms that run through our mind as we're driving, we're very much looking for other cars. Think about all the things you look for on the road. Yeah. You're looking for this certain kind of movement by a certain sized thing at a certain velocity. And that's why suddenly seeing a ball roll into the road you completely freak because you weren't expecting it. You weren't looking for a ball. You weren't thinking about a ball, even though there's always the chance that a ball could be rolling into the street. That's how accidents happen, right? If you start thinking about being a car to the exclusion of that streetcar that I ride on or to the exclusion of that bike that's out there, if you start thinking of it as a car game, you might be missing something. So, for example, like a motorcycle rider going, hey, you know what? People mostly don't see me. Like, I have to always be sure that I make eye contact to the extent possible or I always start my movements on the road earlier. I, that's just a random example, but I don't know. I, I always think it's interesting to, to hear, you know, rather than a prescriptive, like, list of complaints about how you've been treated by the world, you know, and it doesn't have to be a boo-hoo thing, but it's kind of a thing where you go like, well, you, like for you and me, you know, who are driving around, like we may not be aware, like how much, I sort of got at this a little bit last week, but we may not even be aware of the stuff that we're doing that would not be difficult to change that could make things better for everybody. Isn't that a humane point of view? Very. Yes. Is there anything else you want to tell me? But that's about the last thing in the world I would actually want to ask somebody. <sighs> does that make sense? No, it really does. And I, you know, just going back to that, that telegraphing, that concept of telegraphing something, you know, they don't, they, the doctors, they weren't necessarily really aware that they were doing it. But you, you have to wonder in those situations where, you know, I remember when I was a sales engineer and I, my boss was like, a, you know, like the, the big sales guy at the company I worked for. And Watching him close and watching him, you know, the entire sales process, I learned so much from him in that process. John, John. Yeah, but watching, not, not reading white papers, but watching how that person actually behaved yeah. with other people. Yeah, it was, you know, how much of, you know, the truth he would tell. Like, he was never lying about things that, oh, you're this product will do this and this. It wasn't like that. It was more like... I knew that there were certain things that he might be saying to them that weren't essentially necessarily part of the standard deal, but that, that of course it was going to mean more work for like me and the other engineers, but like things he would promise, things he would agree to, certain things he would not budge on. Um, you know, when, when he would say, oh yeah, we can handle that much traffic. You know, like I would know that what he was saying is, we need to ramp up in order to handle that. But if we get this deal, we'll do that. You know, things like that, like the, the, you know, the, the, just the way that he interacted with people, the body language that he would use, all of these different subtle things that, I, and I often, I never really got to ask him how much of that was conscious and how much of it was not conscious. That was just sort of the, he understood the way Tony Roma understood how to talk to somebody to to make the deal happen. You know what I right. mean? That where it, get, it gets in your bones. It's not something right. where you have to go through a list of five items. There's yeah. something that's yeah. I was uh, I was listening to the the uh, book on tape. I think I mentioned this a while ago. Steve Martin, <laughs> uh, Born Standing Up. I love that we both still call it book on tape. All oh, right, it's an audio book. There's Sorry. no tape involved, is there? That's how weird my brain. Like I still say, oh, I want to tape that. I want to tape that. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to the audiobook 
Born Standing Up, uh, Steve Martin's really great uh, autobiography about his stand-up career. He, he talks a little tiny bit about the movies and things like that, but it's mainly about stand-up. And you hear when, you know, when he's telling you about his life and how he started out, and we talked about this before, but how he started out as, as, you know, doing magic tricks and learning magic and practicing. The main thing that I took away from listening to that whole thing is that, yes, he was funny. Uh, but the thing that really separated him and and really helped make him successful wasn't just the fact that he was funny. It was the fact that he did it so much. He practiced so, so much. And it, uh, there was another article that I was reading that was talking about athletes and 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 people who uh, who are successful as athletes are not necessarily the people who have the high degree of athletic talent. They're the people for whom getting into a gym every day or going and practicing that thing, it doesn't bother them. They don't get bored or they don't, they don't want to stop doing it. That they, yeah, almost like it doesn't feel, I don't mean to change the topic, but like, it's almost like it doesn't feel external to you. It doesn't feel like me going to the gym. It would be almost like, yeah, again, the classic example of brushing teeth. It's like, you know, I brush teeth for me. You know, it ends up being useful for the world as well. But I do that. I don't have to analyze every whether this is the right day to brush my teeth. It's <laughs> yeah. just a thing that I do. And in the case of somebody who's an athlete, getting in that habit of thinking that as the place where you belong changes your whole approach to the discipline. Yeah, the success of the athlete isn't determined by how fast they build muscle. It's determined by the fact that unlike us, they go tomorrow and we don't. And that's the difference, you know, the difference is that they go and they do it, that Steve Martin practiced and practiced and was willing to travel around the country, breaking even, staying in crappy hotels, performing in front of people who had never heard of him and, and didn't even, weren't even there for him to perfect his, to perfect his craft, you know? And when, when you think about that in the terms of, of what we're talking about is, you know, and I was I was also thinking about this watching the the Emmys last night. Who's comfortable up there and who's not comfortable up there, and why right. is this something that's just inherently in the person to be comfortable up in front of people when they're talking? No, it's practice. It's doing it, and the people who are the best speakers, the people who are the best at the thing that they do. And that's why sometimes when, when you find people who are like, oh, we can go and do that and they do it in whatever the thing is and it doesn't work or it's completely amateur. It's, it's not because they did it wrong. It's not because they didn't try as hard as they could. It's, they just haven't done it enough. And that's why when the, the guy runs up and kicks the soccer ball and, and makes a goal, the reason that he did it isn't because he's a supremely talented person. It's because he did it 1 million times before that. And now he can just go and do it. And it like, we forget, I forget that. Yeah. I forget that that's something that, you know, that there, but you eventually hit this point where like the, the momentum that you've built over the course of your life of doing these different things is now part of what carries you to having more success in those and the related things. Absolutely. But, you know, what you're describing is it's so true and it so needs to be repeated. But if you're not careful, it can also, what you're describing, which is a true thing, can be perverted into one of those turns out thing things about like how many hours you're supposed to practice something in order to be the Beatles or something oh, right, like that. Right, right. I'm not going to name names. And I don't want to get too far into that. But there's an, the other part that's seemingly... 
I don't know if it's obvious that this is nested in what you're describing, but it's not just the practice of what you do, but it's the disposition of how you do it. It's the attitude you take toward what you're doing. And there's, there are a lot of people now who have kind of updated the whole 10,000 hour thing to talk about how, well, there's certain kinds of, certain kinds of practice that tend to work better than others. And I'm just going to toss this out because it, it's kind of related. You know, the, the disposition of somebody who goes to the gym every day, well, I mean, the first, when you go to the gym, if you just jumped on all of those machines by yourself, you might not realize that you're doing the machine wrong. A good example to me is whatever the name, like we, I used to go to, was it a Nautilus? You know, where you go around the different stations. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Got that creepy adductor and all that stuff. But there was that the sit-up machine where you put a small amount of weight on there and then you do, you know, sit-ups. And I, I did it wrong for a long time. I did it like, like I did when I was in third grade, which is using the momentum of throwing my shoulders forward <laughs> to try and do that, which is not only a great way to injure yourself, but it's also not isolating the muscle group that that machine is designed for. To have a mentor or coach type person there to say, wait a minute, try this with less weight and try to start out with more repetitions doing this exactly this right way. Um, but the thing is, to, in order to hear somebody say that to you, whether that's in the gym or in the crosswalk or wherever, is to have a disposition. It doesn't have to be an overt disposition. But the idea that there's always a little more that I could learn here. And, and this goes to, again, one of my pet topics, which is expertise. So one problem is that when we're new to something or when we're approaching intermediate skill at something, as, as, as you know, as the Dreyfus brothers like to say, it's, it gets dangerous when you get to the point of being an advanced beginner because you feel like you know so much stuff about stuff. Part of that problem, to flush that out a little bit, is that now you know enough about the basics to not destroy this program every time you try to make it or to not hurt yourself in the gym. You know enough to show up and, and do the basic stuff to get started. But the, the hard part is when you feel like that amount of not knowing how little expertise you actually have can be damaging. Because you need to have an awareness about how much more you could learn, but also there's that just the cataract of being not great at something makes it difficult to know what you need to learn to get better. And the only way to learn that is from other people. It's very difficult on your own. I mean, think about how many things where you've tried really, really, really hard at something and you feel like you've put so much effort into something, but you didn't know enough to like reframe it or look at the problem in a different way or understand that like, there's this Pareto principle at work here where like, wow, rather than trying to boil the ocean with this huge amount of difficult weeks-long work you're spending on this one part of the program, you really need to concentrate on this small part of the program and the design process that's going to make this better from the beginning, however that is. But this is why I think it's kind of related to your, what are your relationship with, with uh, people who ride bikes, your relationship to people you work with, your relationship to the people who share a bathroom with you, is that ability to get the disposition of going, there's probably more that I could learn here. There's probably something I can improve here. And I say that as somebody who struggles with it, because I think some of the things I felt like most of a failure at were things where I thought, God, I should be able to do this. Why is this so hard? But I would keep that the same cracked lenses of intermediate ability. Those, those cracked lenses would not make it... Um, would not make it easy. It would make it difficult for me to see what it would really take to go to the next level. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's making sense, but like that's where, where you get into the whole like, is there anything else you want to tell me? Is there anything else I should know? And if you say that to somebody who knows your disposition is, you'd be open to improvement, they're going to be much more likely to say, well, you know, try choking up on the bat just a little bit. Try exhaling before you swing, you know, like, because otherwise they're going to know that it's a personal ego attack on you that you're going to take personally and now you won't be friends anymore. So I don't know. 
Um, I want to hear about something you like, but I think these issues are heavily related unintentionally to work and life. Now, yeah, I think it all comes back to that. You're right. And I think that there's, it's, it's weird because the more that you think about this stuff, the more that you can, you can kind of o- overthink it as well. And, it, you know, like I see a lot of this with my kids. As, Me too. Do you? Oh, big time. Saw it yesterday. Yeah. What happened? Or I, I should tell you, you, you. You go ahead. No, I was talking about something you like. Yeah, let me tell you about this thing. It's a little company called Smile. 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 If you work with PDFs, is this is a simple fact, and I, finding out not everyone knows this, but if you work with PDFs, you need PDF Pen. It's a multi-purpose PDF editor. It can make changes, fix typos, resize images. You can combine multiple PDFs into one. You can extract pages from one PDF into a new one. Can even do OCR, that's uh, optical character recognition, to digitize scan documents as part of a paperless workflow. You can even redact sensitive information by removing it permanently and completely from a PDF. The new version of PDF Pen 6 includes Microsoft Word export. You get, they give you an editing bar for faster workflow. They've got retinographic support, auto-saving, document versions, much, much more. It's $59.95, but you can get a free demo. And test it out and see how easily you can edit PDFs with PDF Pen. You can, you know, little things we've talked about before. You can apply your signature using PDF Pen. You can fill out those PDF forms. You can correct typos. The OCR stuff is just uh, is just awesome. And you can get PDF Pen for uh, iPad and iPhone too. And if you're really into the OCR thing, and you're like a real estate agent or something like that, you take your iPad, your iPhone with you, and you get PDF uh, Pen Scan Plus, you can do OCR on your iPad, on your iPhone. It's the coolest thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Smilesoftware.com slash B2W is the URL to go to to learn more about this. That will support the show, support our efforts. Again, smilesoftware.com slash B2W. Please go check it out. Thank you very much to Smile for supporting Back to Work and Merlin Man. And Benjamin. Yeah, with the kids, the kid thing. Uh, yeah. Oh, big time. There's a lot. There's a lot that uh, that m- my boy will do where it, most of his sentences is, dad, 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 did you know? So that's pretty much the way every conversation starts. Did you know? And most of the, you know, did you know Luke Skywalker uh, has a robot hand? So what do I say? Do I say, yeah, like I've known that since I was your age? Or do I say, he does? Or do I say, tell me about the robot hand? Or what do you like about that? I usually go for the latter one. But it's, there's, this, there's this strange, and, and that kind of butts up against what we're talking about in a, in a weird way. Because a lot of what I think we, we do, this is a weird tangent. It seems like there's two kinds of careers. There's the kind of career where you're learning and you continue to learn. And then there's the kind of career where you you attain mastery of something and then you're just focusing on maintaining that. And I'm sure there's lots of other types I'm not thinking of. Uh, So here's an example. My grandfather was a metallurgist. And as a scientist, he was – they were constantly – making new, I'm not saying these are, 
huge discoveries, but they were making discoveries. They were learning, oh, if we do this and we make this kind of mixture of these different metals, we could do this thing with it. And he worked for uh, for the government doing like, uh, like anti-ballistic armor for tanks and stuff. So they were always looking like during the war of like, how can we make better armor to protect our soldiers? You know, like that's what he was working on. And they were innovating things. They were coming up with things in his whole life. He was learning stuff. Even after he was retired, he was always doing things that uh, challenged his mind. And they were things that were outside of the discipline that he had mastered, which was uh, metallurgy. He was then doing other things. You know, he'd learned to how to, how to invest. He taught himself that he was always, you know, you would go and if, if they came out with an eight head VCR, like he'd have the eight head VCR, even when the rest of us had a two or four head, he had an eight head, you know, because he was like, that's the thing that was always like, what is technology going to give me? How can I learn more about this discipline? And then there's, uh, there are other things where it seems like people get to a certain point where they're, they're doing – and this is back to that earlier thing. They're, they're doing that same thing every day and they don't necessarily need to feel challenged by it. They're okay going in and just – they enjoy their job. They do their thing and then go home. And I don't know. that This just has been something I've wanted to talk to you about for a while is – I always struggle whenever I have to do something that isn't hard for me to do. Does that make sense? If it's not hard, then I'm not as interested in it. Like if it, if it becomes monotonous or if it becomes, uh, and I don't know if that's because I'm an incredibly impatient person or if, if, if I just, but I, I always like, figuring that kind of thing out. Like we're, we're rearranging the studio room and how we're going to do the recording stuff. And um, a couple of people that work with me, they're like, Dan, I thought this was set up. I thought we could like leave it. It was, you know, it's good. Can't we just leave it? I'm like, no, no, there's a better way to do this. And they're like, but is it that much better? Is it worth tearing the whole thing apart? I'm like, yes, we have to tear it apart because you got to have to get in my brain and you have to get on board with this because like, this is a way to make it better. And, and like, I, I always, like, I can't, like that's just how I work, but it's a problem. I think. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it's hard to know when it's worth asserting your ego, um, and when when you when you should listen and when you should just purely implement, or what combination of that. Especially yeah. if you already have sunk costs and what you've already started. You know, that, that's certainly a common thing. So, you know, I, I've been the guy who's new at the company and wants to revolutionize everything. And people are like, yeah, we, we tried revolutionizing that and that was not a good idea. And I thought they were dummies, but of course they had their reasons. You know, you have to have sustainable things. Um, when your kid says, did you know Luke Skywalker has a robot hand? Yeah. Um, it, it, when my better angels prevail, what I know that kid is saying, did you know I know Luke Skywalker has a robot hand? Right. Because that's that's kind of what you're really asking, and then then that can open the door to talking about lots of different things. Um, I had a couple of things here. I, yeah, hmm. Well, so one thing we're doing right now, sir, uh, is we're graduating. So my my daughter and I both have scooters. Like I've got a big boy razor scooter, and my daughter has both a tiny little kid, like three wheel style scooter, as well as a big kid razor scooter. You know what I mean? It's not as big as mine. Like, I got a pretty premium one, but she's, you know. But the thing is, you remember what it feels like to go from riding a tricycle to riding a bicycle, where, I don't know, for me, that, that's such, that is such a beaten-to-death analogy in a million different ways, but it's, it's a cliche for a reason, because it's so true. When you're a little kid who's had a couple good years of wheeling around on a tricycle, 
getting on a bicycle with those wobbly training wheels feels like the craziest thing in the world. So the thing I would always think when I was riding my, when I was like, whatever, six years old and riding a two-wheeler with training wheels, what was I frustrated at? I was frustrated because I was demanding that my parents fix these stupid training wheels so that there wasn't any slack in them. I wanted those training wheels to be flush against the ground so I could tricycle my way around. But that's not what the training wheels are for. The training wheels are there to never let you be able to just ride without having to balance. But when you're a little kid, even though you might get that on some intellectual level, mostly what you realize is that you can't scoot as well as you used to. And so one solution, if you see that very obvious analogy of where I'm going, if your primary thing is that I need to be able to keep scooting them the way I was scooting before, well, you might be smart enough to learn how to go get some tools, get a crescent wrench, and you could actually go and change your own training wheels so that they held you fast against the ground. And you might be a 37-year-old man riding around with training wheels that you have finally mastered. When really the idea that's very difficult for somebody at that stage to understand is those training wheels are just there for a little while. And the reason they're wobbly is that in a way that I am completely unable to describe to you, you will only have to get this, you'll get this by falling down and eventually by feel, there will be a day when those training wheels don't hit the ground anymore. And that means that you've learned how to ride a bike. You're still going to fall down a lot, but do, do, I mean, do you see that leap? That leap is so difficult to explain to somebody who's pr- happy to tricycle along. It's very difficult to show them the benefit of that intermediate stage of the training wheels because it feels like a huge step backwards. And then eventually you get good at riding a bike and then you go on to the next thing. But to me, that condition of being a four, five, six-year-old kid who's learning, and you know, like I say, I see it right now with the scooter because she's trying to transition. She loves... She's just getting the hang of starting to go on a two-wheeled scooter, which is harder than it sounds. Yeah. If you're used to wheeling around on those three wheels, you can go a lot faster. You can take turns a lot you know, quicker. But she's getting it. And so the te- there's a teachable moment for her, which is that she needs to get on there and just ride that thing and not get frustrated and go back to the three-wheeler, which I try to be supportive of. But it's also a teachable moment for me big time because there's only so much blathering about how to ride a scooter that I can give her. There's only so many tips I can give her as somebody who knows how to balance on two wheels. What I really need to do is get out of the way, let her ride around on the two-wheeler, be not very good at it for a while, then start falling down a lot and sometimes getting hurt because that's part of the process. But eventually, if she sticks with it, she'll be able to ride on those two wheels. There could not be a more facile example of this in the entire world, but that's what we all face every day. We all face the comfort of having this mostly serviceable tricycle of a life when in fact we're not even realizing that there's a two-wheeler out there that we should be riding on and that we are going to fall down and scrape many parts of our body before we get good at it. Hmm. But that's growth. That's the hard part. And for us, in the position of the people who are so knowledgeable, you and me as the the parents, like there's a certain art to being able to motivate somebody to want to do that, to not squelch them, to not criticize in the wrong way, to encourage in the right ways, but to in a lot of ways just get the hell out of the way and try to let them ride on two wheels, you know? But, it, but that kid has to have, again, this theme, curiosity about what is the next thing I could do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I, no, I think what, what you're saying here is one of those things that it's so hard to, you know, or I try to do on a consistent basis is figure out, you know, like you talk about teachable moments. It really is that, that, daily challenge of saying, how can I encourage rather than discourage? How can I, um, how can I respond better to the thing that, that they want or the thing that they're asking 
as opposed to the thing that I'm interested in or the thing that I think they should be paying attention to. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's always, it's this ongoing thing because I remember, uh, way, way before I had, uh, kids, you know, 10 years before, uh, some friends of ours who are a little bit older had their first kid and they were kind of on the extreme side of not really dis, I don't want to say disciplining, but not really giving them boundaries that we thought were okay. And here's an example. Uh, we went uh, somewhere and there was this, uh, you know, there was this park and it, the park had like, you know, a playground and park benches and other things. And they just sort of let their kid kind of wander around this whole park. And as long as he was kind of within visible view that they were okay. And that sort of included him like talking to homeless people and other things like that. And, you know, it's kind of carried into going to a restaurant. Like if he wanted to get up, they, he could get up, walk around, go to the other tables. And I w- thought to myself, well, um, I'm not going to do that when I have a kid. And we don't, you know, I keep track of my kid, not the helicoptering style, but like you're going to be a little closer to me if I notice there's like homeless people talking to themselves. Maybe we won't go over to that person and engage in a conversation with them, you know, while they drink. And I, I remember I was asking him about that later. I was like, you, you know, you don't seem to really, you know, worry so much. And they're like, well, it's not that we don't worry, but we see ourselves uh, more as just kind of uh, giving our kid guidance that they're finding their own way and and we're only there to make sure the very worst possible things don't happen. And I think they did that maybe to a fault but there's that weird space that that I'm in now as my kids are older that I want them to do stuff on their own. I want right, but it's, know, just, it's still a very difficult. I'm finding it a very continually hard. difficult transition. Yes, because like I've said since the beginning, I always feel like I've just mastered one month ago. Like I feel like I'm almost I've <laughs> yeah. almost got my head around how to deal with my kid of you know three to six months ago. And, you know, and now we're very much entering a stage. I mean, I don't know if you get this with cash, but like there's just huge leaps forward in independence um, and attempts to ha- be independent. Stuff like, I mean, who cares? But stuff like yesterday out of nowhere with a cold, my, my kid who has adamantly refused to even try, suddenly yesterday out of nowhere just started blowing her nose, which is a giant step. Oh, yeah, if you're a little that's kid. huge. And now she's doing that. And it's like, I, and I'm, I'm, I looked at my wife. I'm like, how did this happen? You know, how, how, but there's all kinds of stuff like that where like they're going to want to test boundaries. Um, and that's what they do. I mean, I don't know if this will turn out to be true, but it feels like with a little kid, as with an employee, um, there's always this constant game of testing limits and then running back to the center. And then you get a little further out the next try and then you run back. And that goes on through college and beyond sometimes. But, but I, I think it's true. It's true for us too, though. I mean, both as the learner and as the teacher. Is like the best teacher is somebody who has the curiosity to know that they can learn things too. Like if you met a teacher, think about pretty much anything, any discipline, you know, in the last 200 years, like would you want somebody who wasn't keeping up to date on what's next? Would you want some, even if you had one of the pioneers of internet connectivity technologies from the early 90s, if that person wasn't keeping up with what had changed, they might be the master of 1990 but they're not going to be up to date on what's happening. And that makes them less of a great teacher because they're not learning. And that all does on some level comes back to curiosity. There's, it has to be a certain plasticity about your willingness to, to change and see new things, but also the curiosity for no other reason than the fact that it's something you might want to or need to know about 
be able to seek out the things that you don't know you have to know yet. You know? Yeah, hmm. it's it, it's so weird because as as somebody who feels like a person who knows so little and it, I'm so like my knowledge is so incomplete and yet now we're supposed to be imparting knowledge to our kids and I, I kind of almost just tried to give up on that and I try to focus on just good decision making. You know, like it's one thing if you tell your kid, well, just do it like this as another to sort of walk them through it. You know that if you walk them through it the right way that they'll learn the the thought process because I think thought processes are teachable or learnable. Um, good, good logical thinking is a learnable thing. It's one thing if your kid says, well, how do I do this? Or why is it like this? And you just tell them as opposed to, you know, kind of leading them down that path to figuring out the answer on their own. That seems to stick a little bit better. But don't you find it, I find it so hard not to intervene. I know. Like if she's doing something like she's learning to jump rope right now and it's all I can do not to like seize the thing out of her hand and go, <laughs> yeah. you have to, look, stand on it with your two feet like this, pull up to here. If it reaches your waist, that's the right length. Because she's got about half the length that she needs to. Right, like letting them keeps, fail, letting them fail. She keeps jamming it into her ankles and it drives me crazy to watch. It's all I can do not to intervene. But you know, that's, that's part of the process. But, you know, I, I, this is what separates the, uh, again, back to Dreyfus, but and uh, similar models, the Dreyfus model skill acquisition. But it goes back to this idea of the difference between like um, an expert and a master, right? Where the expert might be the ultimate practitioner of something, but they may not be that great at showing other people. You know, if you can't be a good teacher unless you understand the material, but also then understand the, the, the level of whoever you're teaching it to. Because you, you don't even know what textbook to pull out. You wouldn't know. You might have the smartest ninth grader in the world, but if you give them an advanced calculus book, it's, well, it's not their failing. They, they don't know enough of the stuff in between yet. You have to put things in ways that other people can understand without being condescending and then make it feel like they're the one, first person in the world who figured it out. Because that's the joy of learning. That's the curiosity. That's the thing that keeps you... Um, keeps your head above water as you're going to whatever the next stage of what you're doing is. Did you want to tell me about something else you like? Ah, uh, yes. I can tell you about our friends over at Squarespace. This is a great thing. Basically, if you want to make a website, you, you go to squarespace.com, you make a website. It can be any kind of website, portfolio. Oh, you're a musician? Oh, cool. You got an album? Awesome. You upload it there. They've got a built-in player. Understands the concept of being a musician, having an album, player designed to work this way. Oh, your podcaster, they got that too. They're set up to let you podcast. If you want to sell stuff, they've got the e-commerce stuff that lets you sell it. Doesn't matter what it is. You can sell it. They handle inventory. They do shipping costs. All of that stuff is all built in. You get this all starting at eight bucks a month if you use the, uh, the code I'm going to tell you about. And if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. They've thought of everything there. And boy, do they have some, I don't know if you've seen it, Merlin, but they showed me in a secret uh, secret meeting, Derek showed me some amazing, really cool stuff that they've got coming down the pipe. It's stuff that uh, that I think everybody who uses Squarespace is, is, is really, really going to love. But really, if you start a trial, you don't need to give them a credit card. You just go there, you start building your website. Oh, you've been blogging for years and you've got all your content in another system. There's a good chance that one of their importers is automatically going to talk to that system and suck all the content in and turn it into a really, really awesome website that you control with drag and drop design. It's really, really great. So go over to squarespace.com 
You can even go to squarespace.com slash back to work spelled out. But the code that you're going to want to use, all one word, it's your show. <laughs> you use the code, it's your show, we'll give you 10% off. That's going to make it eight bucks a month. And don't forget, if you sign up for a year, you get a bigger discount and you also get a free domain name. So thanks very much to Squarespace. Squarespace.com slash back to work. Code, it's your show, 10% off. Go check them out. A better web starts with your website. <clears throat> I use um, I use Squarespace for a podcast that I do, and I always want to underscore to people like how drop dead simple it is. If you've ever thought of doing a podcast, y- yeah, you got to do all the monkey business of going and making a podcast. They can't help you with that. But re- it's so simple. You just hit a button, you upload the file, and now that thing that was a post is now a podcast um, episode. Yeah, it it really cool. is. It's amazing. It's, you know, there may be day, a day that comes where you can, you need more than that. But man, if you're holding back on getting started, it's so easy. It's just so simple to do. They're, they're great to work with. <sighs> mm. See, my problem is I just can't think about it. Because then if I think about it, I think about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know? It's, if well, I'm in Guardians just, of the Galaxy and I'm in a hurry, you know, I may not wash as thoroughly as I should because mm-hmm. I want to get back to the raccoon. Yeah, you want to you yeah. get back to that. I think there's a, there's a very interesting thing that I'm seeing, though, now that my kid's like, he's in first grade now. And there is a big difference, which you, I'm sure, know, between kindergarten and first grade. Not just in what they teach, but like just the whole thing around it. Like we had to buy school supplies this year and, you know, and that was, and it's like the things that I think that I I worry about, uh, like conformity, um, there, you know, the school supplies that they have, uh, like it's very, I don't know about where you are, but like, it's not like, oh, you get them some crayons, pencils and things. Well, the way they have it here, it's like every kid has to buy the school supplies and then the school supplies sort of become part of the, the whole, all the classrooms. That's supplies. exactly, that's exactly. There's a, there's a small handful of things like a composition book or, right. you know, lunchbox, but everything else, basically the paper towels are for the class. Yeah. So they get these, but so like there's this one pencil box and I went to three or four different places to find this $2 pencil box. That's a specific, it has to be a certain brand, has to be a certain thing. And I couldn't, couldn't find it. And all I could find was this like generic like store version of the pencil box that they're supposed to buy. So like I start worrying about like, well, he's going to be like the only one that doesn't have this pencil box. Like everyone else is going to have the right pencil <laughs> so, box. Suddenly you're six years old again. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I, I'm worrying about that. And, and you know, I'm like, I'm probably just worrying about this for no reason. I'm sure other kids are not going to have the exact right pencil box. I'm not the only parent that shopped for the school supplies. Like the week before school started, everyone else, they did it, you know, not that much in advance. So there's going to be other kids. So, and of course, this is coming back through the six-year-old observational mindset. But I was like, so your pencil box, like, were you the only one that had this one? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm the only one. Everyone else had the kind that was clear and, uh, you know, had whatever the word was on top. He's like, everyone else had that one. I was the only kid in the whole class. And then he stopped talking. He kind of thought for a minute. He says, I'm the only one in the whole school that doesn't have that pencil box. And I kind of laughed. I said, oh, is that all right? He's like, yeah, I don't care. <sighs> and, you know, the part, so that was the part that I was worried about. Like he would, you know. Yeah, be, you're worried he's going to be an outcast. Yeah, he's already, you know, get, like the, 
different. You know what I'm saying? Like he already thinks and I see it. I see it on the playground. Like he's, he thinks differently than, than other kids. Everybody's kid thinks differently than other kids. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. he's always been, uh, like he started talking when he was six months old. Like there's always, he's been in a different headspace than other kids. Like I've always known that. And, uh, and, and so, you know, like the, the more things I can do that it will at least set him up to if he chooses to fit in, he can fit in, you know, like I don't want to set him up with anything that's already going to set him apart as different. I'll just give him the stuff that everybody else has. And then if he chooses to do something else, he could do the other thing, but at least he'll, he'll come into, because I always had like the hand-me-down clothes, you know, I always was always the kid with the clothes that were like the pants that were cuffed six inches up because I was so short, you know, little things like that. Like, I just want to set him up on the right course. And if he decides to veer off of it, then good for him, you know, but uh, at least he has, he'll have the choice if I do my job right. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, it's like these little things that like, there's so many opportunities where you feel like, oh man, I I don't want to screw this up, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, my first that I can remember of all my various uh, rules I or guidelines I set for myself, one of the ones that I have the hardest time with uh, is one of the most important, which is to the extent possible, um, try not to create especially unnecessary anxieties in my kid, yeah. but secondarily to avoid giving her the anxieties that I already have so that you eventually end up willing your child meta anxieties mm-hmm. and I am terrible at it because you know I, I, I don't want her to die like so I, I, I fret about stuff but it's really illuminating and humbling and I bet this is just as true for somebody who's a manager at Apple but like anybody like if there's somebody that you're working with who suddenly vastly exceeds your expectations and shows an understanding of the world that you don't have that's really humbling and that's a good chance to realize how much you have to learn you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. You should get in the right pencil box, though. You don't want to look like a no, freak. No, I know. We're waiting for it to come into stock. Yeah. I did, re- I did a, a little recording with him. Did you listen to it? I've huffed off it. I haven't listened. I heard it's delightful. People seem to be really happy with it, which is not... It's in the show notes. Oh, it's not what I was expecting uh, the response to be. So I'm pretty surprised. You should monetize that kid. Oh, yeah. Make, well... Make him earn his keep. Yeah, you know what they should time. do? Can, can, I, can I just give a free idea? And then we got to go. But, you know, here's a free idea. This is not complicated. First of all, every school should have their own, like, well-done Amazon thin affiliate store. It's a really a no-brainer. Mm. There should be, somebody should go in oh, and that's do, genius. do, like, a fresh store or one of the, the less cheesy um, thin affiliate stores and basically set up the entirety of Amazon with the branding of that school. That's a no-brainer. So everything that gets bought from there... You get uh, whatever, you know, five, seven percent of that. And you know what you should do? You should have a landing page. I don't know how you would do this, but probably with the API, you should do this. You should be able to go to a landing page. And with maybe a couple little tweaks on choices with color and stuff, you should be able to buy whatever the school says you need on one page with one click. And then the school gets the affiliate money from that. That's so smart. Why not? They make it. And it's small easier. Fortune. It's easier. Like, do you want to run around from place to place and like find out that they don't have the right pencil box and now your evening's gone? Plus the schools can make a little dough off of it. That's a fact. You know, I'm an idea guy. They're just gonna have to run with that. Yeah. All right. Let's button this up. I love, I you, love Merlin, you, man. <laughs> <laughs> who who usually goes first? I think you go first. Okay. <laughs> Let's button this up. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> I love you. I love you too, Marlon Man.